So up first, I want to have Adam Greenfield, who I met at one of the events Ole used to throw, which was Drunk Poet Society. Come on up, Adam Greenfield. Thank you, guys. Seriously, Ted? What's up? That's better. Thank you. Sorry, I'm too short for these things. All right, this first one is called uh, um, We Left the Tree Too Soon. Oh, can I? I'm allowed? All right. All right. My name's Adam Greenfield. Um, I've got a book out called Regarding the Monkey. I've got some copies over there to sell. Please feel free to pick them up. I take cash, card, check, name a firstborn kin, whatever you have. So, um, yeah. Regarding the Monkey. It's, I'm, uh, thanks, Ted, for putting this out, by the way. I really appreciate that. This is my first book ever published, so I'm pretty excited about it. All right, so this first one is called We Left the Tree Too Soon. Dear Karma, you've let me down because all around are animals and their mates, their primates and their mating, and they're replicating the same stupid ooh ooh and ah ah ah. These fucking monkeys. As they swing from shiny thing to shiny thing while they fling their shit around the room and a broom just smears it around. No, you have to get down on your hands and knees to clean up the mess they made. And you can yell at them, but they don't listen. They just go about their day as if to say there's no such thing as just happened, only what's happening now and what will happen. Fucking monkeys. Goddamn savages with an average IQ and a fat beer gut to boot. But you want to know the sad truth? They're you. And they're me. And that naughty family tree. Blood relative or not, agree or disagree, we've got shit in our hands. Cocked and loaded, ready to be thrown, the other approaches with empty hands. For no one likes the unknown. Yet no one likes to be shown a path to growth, and it's gross. It's an overwhelming net result of an insulting truth. We're better off staying in trees. Yeah. All right. Got a message here that says this started. Um, this is called Party Animal. I am the host of a pity party that has been raging for weeks, and I just want everyone to leave, especially the couple fucking in my headroom. I didn't invite them here. They just showed up and immediately began making out, deliberately tearing each other's clothes off piece by offensively obvious piece. Moans that aren't mine, echoing off sweaty walls, the sound of skin on skin slapping with each beat and pulse of my scarred heart, and I want a love like that. A love that simply doesn't give a fuck about the lack of luck of others because that's what love does. It creates and ruins parties and drunkenly punches all the wallflowers square in the nose. Yet what comes out is not the color of a rose, but more like a steady stream of sunshine-colored streamers, yellow and orange, and instantly blinding, warm on my skin, and I want a love like that. A love that pins me to the ground and makes me tell my friends sorry. I can't party down tonight. The love in my life is back in town, but maybe next time. Maybe next time I'm alone, I'll call you. Except I won't call you, that is. I'll be alone, but I'll be too busy pinning the fail on the donkey. All right, this is called The Point We're At. This is not a threat. It's the promise of a kiss on your spine, for it's there where we fine-tune the line between writing on the walls and reading love poems from my book for the first time. And it happens when we stay in bed into the early afternoon, the soft outline defining the shape of our souls lying lazy between us. And I must confess, it's been a long while since I last shared sins. 
and still we'll bend and we'll twist and we'll thrust our fists into what is left undefined yet is right under our noses, this physical prose that presupposes we've yet to run out of ink before we even begin to think in rhyme. And maybe there's still time for someone to be the one that one day calls me on my bullshit and says they're not going to leave until I fix it. Then I fix a scar on my breast above where my heart hides in disguise within my chest. And if this is a test of my selflessness or the exposure of a better man than me, then I'll only be your subject of ridicule. The fool's end of a foolish bender rendered reeling from the feeling of being upended from the fall. But if this is no test at all, no quiet judgment, no frantic call of the wild within the beast of us, then the worst of our concerns is rust in my bones while we lust for the rest of your poem. This is called Teenager. When I turned 13 years old, I was already broken. Yet I didn't really know what broken was. Not yet. I was dead set on the possibility of reparation and redemption, but like monkey see, papa do all monkey's life, monkey do. So... I filled the void after Papa left and began to abuse what was left of myself. On the outside, a layer of unrelenting baby fat and glasses. My own scarlet letter. Preferably lowercase, of course, lest uppercase is taller than me. And on the inside? On the inside was hope, tentatively perched on a twitchy horse, a noose around its neck. A suspect start to life so far. When I turned 14 years old, a quicksand pool of anger attempted to swallow me, just not whole. It left my hands and head just above the surface, just to prove a point just to keep me undergrounded. So I pounded my fists on the surface, and on the face of it, I was sure I was getting free. But whatever had a hold on me held on tight for my dear life. So I gave in, built a cave for one, thick walls of ice to keep the fire warm, but not a liar from harm, because I was lying to myself. I was sticking my hand in the fire the entire time just to see if it was hot. It was, every time. When I turned 15 years old, I started smoking cigarettes and weed, though neither were my first drug. That was LSD. I lost my virginity to Mary Firecrotch. She had red hair, her real full name removed, to prove I've changed since back then. Back when I angrily wore all black. Combat boots, tattered tees, long hair tattered up like the cure. I was sure I was so damn cool. I was the principal of the highest school of life. So, that year, I created a curriculum consisting of classes only I wanted to take like how to make a hole in an apple just right so I could smoke weed 101. Yet instead, I just became an expert on how to seed clouds to make it rain down only on me, AP. When I turned 16 years old, I was told get a job, so I grew my hair longer and stronger defiance of compliance, and it took me places I'd never been and at times never should have gone to begin with. The world was an oyster, clammy to the touch, and I'm allergic to seafood, so... I built a shell fish can't fit in to save my skin already itching to eat itself away, but it'll be at least a decade of days before that comes into play. When I turned 17 years old, I was just getting started. Several times broken-hearted already, a steady diet of nothing short of a riot every day, nothing quiet about it. So, one spring night, I got in a fight and stole a car, headed south with friends until the night's end, and by dawn we arrived in Atlanta, only to be promptly arrested. And for the first time, my will to live was tested. Clearly, I passed, but it was no small task. When I turned 18 years old, I couldn't see a damn thing. Blind to the hand-wringing of worried family and friends watching me struggle, bend and twist, living life, living life as the opposite of a pacifist in a fistfight. So, 
with bared teeth, exposed not from a grin, but more from the stinging wind in my face, I ran headlong in the wrong direction, stopping only long enough to piss on opportunities as if they were dead dreams lit on fire in a funeral pyre. May they rest in disillusioned grandeur. I was sure we were all better off that way anyway. When I turned 19 years old, I was fine-tuning the natural static. Automatic in an overdrive, I was striving to become the opposite of what I never thought I could be. Anything. And isn't that something? So, I got lost. I tossed my future to the side of the road like the butt of a mostly smoked cigarette. And regret? That nonsense was for old people and remorseful ex-cons. The kind you find in meetings leading on steps that got them there and will soon have to take. But I make no judgment of those that go overboard into the seas. Wait until you hear about my 20s. This is called In This Playground Game. It's like a game of volleys. Me on one side with my lines as my racket and rocking back and forth. You on the other side making your own racket until there's a break in play. Silence. Crickets. Tumbleweeds. Then out of nowhere a sigh of implication and exasperation like I'm missing something that's right there in front of my face on the tip of my lips. But I reach up and touch chapped skin. Dry. Flesh. Raw. Apparently, I'm supposed to entertain everyone, the life of the party line, but that's not me. I have my quiet moments, too, and I value them. But sometimes the sound, the mere sound of a woman breathing is the only noise I need. Sound, proof, speech. I ask what the problem is. Nothing. It's always nothing. It seems there's no redemption for the quiet, no submission for the tongue-tied and word watchers. Quiet, watching, listening. So I ask a question about your day and night, what went right or wrong, and all I get is it was okay, nothing too exciting, just okay. But that's the way it goes in this playground game of whose brain holds more, or whether a big dick is as good as big breasts, or big words we barb and toss back and forth, holding our ground in this gender miscommunication, tug of war. This is called a uh, resignation letter. Sorry that my boss is here today. So, got a couple months for that though, but. I didn't fit into your square box of ideals. You didn't fit into my whole entire idea of a system of being, no matter the amount of my time given. And that's not living, man. That nine to five shit and shiny shoes and non-dimensional thinking so I'm now going to do myself a favor and not look back. Because you don't deserve the attention. The retention of memory is hell enough, thanks. Because your rank on your floor is a vague, ambiguous placement of more vague and ambiguous words and meaning, and I'm more to the point than that. But you can't see past your precious documents of documented history of do as I say, an undocumented history of not as I do. I'm through with you, just as much as you're through with me. And like a bee, I'll let you be and keep on walking, because you're not worth the honey. You stung me one too many times. Shame on me for inviting you into my tea party because that's all you needed. Like a vampire, you sucked soul and blood and precious time but still ended up not a bat, but just another worker bee for the faceless, emotionless machine. And you see, that's not me. That's not living, man. That's given more than you get back. And the lack of genuine returned respect is unappealing, like stealing jewelry from the dead or life from the living. Now I'm done giving. Go find yourself another monkey or mule to shoulder the weight of the bullshit you shovel on the backs of the beaten, spoon-feeding your lines of compassion, yet your action belies all that, belittling in return. 
so I burn this bridge gladly. Watch it light up the night sky, a smile on my face in the face of a life sentence of freedom, even though I'm eye level with the face of adversity. Yet here's where I shine bright. Welcome to my night sky where I am the only star. And Nick, that wasn't written about you. That was written years ago, so. Uh, yeah, that, that was really geared towards someone else, but you just happened to be here. No hard feelings, Adam. Thanks, Nick. All right, this is called Left Unsaid. And again, regarding the monkey, I've got a bunch of copies over here. There's seven bucks, cash, check, card, whatever you have. Uh, all right, this is Left Unsaid. Why is there a need inside to type or pen what should probably be left unabashedly unsaid and unedited? It's the middle of a night mind grumble, a rumble from deep within the gray-mattered beast that wakes me and shakes me and makes me think strange things like, what is it that tugs on meaning like a never-ending string of color full of words and wisdom, teeth already removed from the head of humankind? I could let that rattle around the skull, gathering weight like hail until it drops out of my eyes like tears of exhaustion, but... That would only burn streaks and cheeks already frostbit from reaching new heights. So slippered feet shuffle on wood floors, dragging specks of what happened the night before. Find a blue chair and a dollar sixty-one, enough to buy 161 thoughts or one load of dirty laundry that hampers me and whimpers in the night until I can no longer sleep. The tap, tap, tapping begins, and it's here where I find out what the meaning really is. So I give in greedily, lapping it up like a lover engrossed in a gross fantasy of dancing on the line between sanity and insanity. Oh, the humanity of it all. Yet every time I come away unsatisfied, gratified it's over, but pretty damn sure it makes no sense or worth a cent, the cost of a thought. So I ignore the meaning behind the curtain, and still the word bugs bite all night. And all I want to know is how, not why, but how do they know I'm trying to sleep? So the question really isn't why, because why will never be known unless I know how. Just how am I supposed to live with this and not be consumed or committed? I admit I'm afraid, I'm afraid to admit, but knowing how tames the beast some, and sometimes that's all I need. It's called Blink. You all do not make sense, every single beautiful one of you. There's a canyon of misunderstanding that lies wedged between two cliffs, or maybe it's just one cliff on one side and a peaceful scene on the other. Either way, I don't get it. And that voice, the only one I hear these days, tells me I never will. You see, it's your eyes and the messages behind them, or lack thereof, that fucks me up. Makes me think when I should act. Makes me blink, and then you're gone. Ted, just kick me off whenever. No, I got plenty more. I got a whole fucking book. So, <laughs> All right, this is called Untucked. There's a man in my bed, and he's been there for quite some time now. Most nights I can ignore him. It's when he fusses that I can't. He tosses and turns, bristles and burns hot like the center of the sun. And when he's done, the sheets are soiled, salty and sweating, tattered ends untucked. And when he comes to terms with awakening... He dreams some more of her. Right. Two more? Oh, no, I can keep going. I don't mind. I, just, I don't want to keep others from doing it. All right. Um, this is called It Hurts Me Too. I wrote this 20 years ago, so this is one of my favorites, actually. Can I do three more? 
Thank you. Thanks, boss. She called me last night and asked, what is breathing? But I had no answer because I ask the same question every day. What is breathing? And I have no answers even for myself, so I told her to just hang in there. But she sounded real shaky, like she wanted to cry, but she's been crying for days, and she doesn't feel any better. Then she asked, what is faith? But I had no answer because I don't have any, so I just kept quiet. And then she asked, is it a foundation for something, or merely a stage for broken actors? So I told her, just hang in there. But even I sounded a bit shaky, and she said she wasn't sure how much longer she can hang in there. So I said, I know, because I don't know how much more I can take either. And she knew this, but it's okay, because no matter what, we're there for each other. And I said this, and she started to cry. And I don't like to hear women cry, because it's so soft, yet the pain is so hard, and it hurts me too. So I did my best to hold her through the phone, and she knew this too. So she eventually stopped crying and said, thank you. And out of habit, I said, you're welcome. But inside, I felt guilty because I didn't feel helpful to her and because I wanted to ask her the same questions she asked me. But I didn't call her. She called me. All right, this is called National Anthem. It kind of fits into where we are these days. I live in a country set up for all to be a part of. Once you fill out the necessary paperwork and a background check is complete and you learn the language and you leave your own at the door. A land led by leaders who don't listen, leaders who bastardize their own, leaders ig who ignore who chose them as leaders. A world still writhing in racial disarray, still burning crosses and white robes on the lawns of those of a different shade of skin, even though their basic composition is still the same. A home on the range where religion will get you killed and where my God can beat up your God and where faith pushers are just as dangerous as the faith they push. I live in a country, an overweight country, full of heart attacks born of stress and grief and fast food diets where you can have it your way just as long as, as it doesn't interfere with mine. A state where I can sue you if you look at me wrong or step on a crack where you can hurt my mother where I don't have to take responsibility for my own actions. A parcel of skewed priorities where lines are individualized, where we use words like majority and minority when it comes to gender and race, especially the human race. A home that makes it hard to even live, where I'm told if I don't like it, I can leave, as opposed to what can be done to make it better. A ground that works against my personal beliefs and convictions and where the moral code is indecipherable. I live in a country in which we all have a job to do, a task so enormous, so devastatingly dangerous that we all must work as one, Yet all I hear, all I see, all I read is my country. Tis of thee, sweet land of indignity. Of thee I will defend to keep the likes of you out. All right. This, uh, this last one is called The um, Life and Death of Natural Love. And I wrote it for my girlfriend, who unfortunately is not here. But um, this one is for her. She occupies the space in the sky where the sun and moon should be, every day rising above my horizon, then setting on a turbulent sea, teeming underneath with a churning desire to leave the harsh past behind, to be of serene and self-possessed surface, to be of sound body and mind. But every wave is a skeleton-filled grave breaking hard on her rocky shores, scattering bones among precious stones, a heart shipwrecked on her seafloor. Thank you very much.
That was Adam Greenfield. Thank you, Adam. Uh, his new book regarding the monkey is available. He has them right there. If you don't do it today, you can go to the website, punapress.com, and get it there. You can go to punapress.com and check out all kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of stuff on that website.